2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 16. Let us pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come today, celebration of Palm Sunday, the arrival of the King. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be lifted today. Father, we understand that you shall return and you shall be greeted with the honor that is due you with the heavenly host by your side. Father, we understand the conclusion of the age. And yet, Father, we think about you riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Father, as I look at this text and I think about the Apostle Paul in desperate need of comfort. Father, I pray that each of us will understand the amazing work that you do and when you do it. Father, may our hearts be submitted to your word the authority of your word and the power of your word. That as you can ride into Jerusalem to the hosannas of the city. We can be comforted in the sorrows that this life will definitely give us. Thank you, Father. To your praise and glory. Amen. Beginning of verse 5, chapter 7. For even when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without and fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what avenging of wrong. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness... And your behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affections abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. What we're looking at is a section on that I have entitled Comfort and Sorrow. Because we are humans and we are here in this fallen world, um, we are going to have sorrows, broken relationships. Uh, and it will come in all kinds of strange ways. Um, and it can be siblings. Uh, it can be spouses. Uh, it can be uh, co-fellow saints. Uh, the church can hurt you. Um, you can hurt the church. And it goes on and it goes on and goes on. And um, you can't really shake it. But one of the things that I, I want you to think about it's interesting. I, I was talking about this this yesterday. I did a memorial for a whole bunch of lost people who were intoxicated by the time I got there, and uh, um, they had some questions for me after I got done teaching. Which there was that part of me said, "Why am I here?" But anyway, uh, and. Some of the things that they were 
trying to rationalize. I basically just told him that that's not in the Bible. Okay. Uh, and, and there was a multiple different things. Everybody gets spiritual when they've got Jack Daniels on board. Um, and it was kind of fascinating because when I would confront them that that's not in the Bible and they said, well, you know, I kind of believe that. And I said, well, then disregard the Bible then. Okay. And they were stunned and said, you can't do that. And I'm like, dude, you are lit up and just half a step out of heaven. And you're worried about disregarding the Bible. I don't know very many Christians who take that stance with Scripture. And yet these guys, a lot of them uh, my age, a little younger, some of them older, bikers. Um, no, you can't disregard the Bible. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of peculiar. So I want to ask you, do you disregard the Bible? Because I want to show you something. Because when I read the Bible, I read it literally. Okay, I know you what? Yeah, that's the way I read it, literally. But it's a poetic book. It's a literal poetic book. I don't have no problem. It seems straightforward to me. Here's a verse that I think about what was going on in the Corinthian church and what they had done to the Apostle Paul before the Restoration. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus out of John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you. That word truly, truly is amen, amen. Okay? You know what that's right. Non-negotiable. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. You ever thought about that? Do you know what the implications of that verse is? If that pastor, that preacher has been sent to you by God and you reject him, who'd you reject? And God the Father. And yet I have seen that so many times. Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest theologian in America has ever seen, was kicked out of his church because he refused to give the Lord's table to people who weren't saved. That ranks right up there with brilliant. Charles Spurgeon was kicked out of the Baptist Union because he says you guys are downgrading your testimonies and you're downgrading your theologies and once you start down the hill the only place you can go is the bottom and they kicked him out and yet they called him the prince of preachers the man sent by god they kicked him out i can go on and on and on they'd done it to the apostle paul in hebrews one of my most controversial texts. There's times I take great comfort in it and there's times that it just just don't seem fair. <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Hmm. For they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account. See, now I don't like that part. <laughs> I always try to tell him, they're yours. I don't know part of this. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable to you. A guy named Steve Lawson was taught, teaching on the sovereignty of God. And he, a huge church down in Mobile, Alabama. Huge. Massive church in Mobile, Alabama. And um, he had made some of the leadership so mad that he had finished up his sermon and they had the deputy sheriffs come and escort him from the pulpit and told him he was not permitted on the property anymore. One of the best expositors that the Southern Baptists possess. <laughs> They're like, what well, else? Brilliant. 
But it's been going on for a little while. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah, a man called by God, sent to God's nation to preach, to proclaim. And the nation basically said, we must kill this man. That was their conclusion. A prophet of God, sent by God, trying to get the nation to turn. And yet he had told him, they won't. And Jeremiah's grief was so great, he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and that my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He says, I don't possess enough tears for the grief I feel. That's pretty impressive. Because in all of these cases that I just read to you, these are people sent by God. Sent by God. This church in Corinth had joined in the false accusers and were listening and following and endorsing false messengers from Satan. Because when you reject the one that God has sent, then who are you following? You're running out of options. If I reject God's messenger, then I reject Christ. If I reject Christ, then I reject God. So what's left? This relationship had been broken. If you read the Corinthian letters and understand that there's a total of four, you can read 1 Corinthians, what you know as 1 Corinthians. Uh, the first six chapters are a rebuke. It isn't until the beginning of chapter 7 that he says, Now, concerning things you wrote me. And I mean, if you read the first six chapters, you're like, Yow! Alright? But then he writes a severe letter. And I'm like, wow, gee whiz, the first six chapters was enough. And then he has to write another one. That is because of the sorrow of the Apostle Paul. And that sin had caused this broken relationship. And Titus had returned, which brought him joy. And his report brought him joy. And their change, their sorrow, their repentance had brought them joy. How is it that we, you and I have relationships? Okay, and let's be realistic. I bet you right now, if I took each one of you aside and asked you, do you have a strenuous relationship right now that is a little on the strained side? I bet every one of you could say, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> right? There's just a little friction right there. And you know what causes it every single time? Sin. Sin causes it. And it affects our relationships. And it can affect the relationship between a husband and a wife. It can affect the relationship between parents and children, between parents and parents, between saints and ain'ts, and saints and saints. It can go all the way across the board. So how do I get comfort from the sorrow that relationships inevitably are going to produce. How do I get joy through it? Well, verse 7 is that loyalty factor. Our joy is on this trust. Okay, and he makes the statement here, verse 7. He had a longing, a mourning, and a zeal for me, he said. And that's a passionate drive. Okay, why? Because I want the trust, I want the relationship restored. Okay. And if you're really honest with yourself, isn't that the heart of everything? It takes time to build up trust and seconds to destroy it. Okay? But when you have that passionate drive that he says here, he was comforted in you, he reported to us, you're longing, you're mourning, you're zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. 
See, the change that the Corinthians has made was evident. They could see it. Then verses 8 to 10, you've seen that change. And it's basically a comprehensive statement on what does salvation look like. This godly sorrow is, is a sorrow over sin. Now, it's funny about us today, here in this country, we have this tremendous sorrow over the wickedness of our nation. Okay? What about your sin? I know. He who says he's without sin calls God a liar, just in case you thought you weren't. All right? Does your sin bother you? You know, I, I go back to that memorial yesterday. I was in a, probably 250 people. Um, I'm pretty convinced that a good, solid thought that I was the only saved one in the bunch. And their sin didn't bother me. Well, you're just me. No, they're only doing what is their nature. How can I condemn them? That's that's I'm expecting them to be Christ like. Really? And yet we have a tendency because of our in the Greek, it's epsilon, gamma, omega. Okay, if you pronounce the word in the Greek, it's your ego. It's always translated personal pronoun. Me, myself, and I, the false trinity. <laughs> because of your ego, you have a tendency to want to see everybody else's sin. Why? It's more fun. It's easier for me to look at your sin. Why? Because I don't want to look at mine. And godly sorrow should be dealing with your sin. And you know what? I don't have to worry about anybody else's sin. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And you know what? I've already read the history. Every time you try to blame somebody else, it gets you nothing. I mean, that started in Genesis. It was the snake's fault. It was God's fault. I didn't do it. I just woke up. Doesn't work. Never does. Look around you today. What are we doing? It ain't my fault. I was raised wrong. It's funny. I, if you've ever been in the judicial system, every time someone stands before a judge, what's the words? Are you guilty or not guilty? What is the term? Not guilty. And you know what? Everyone, I'm guilty. But what is change? Because it's a godly sorrow. It's a godly sorrow. It's like David saying, against you and you alone, O Lord, I have sinned. And yet, he was an adulterer and a murderer. And I'm not sure he was one of what I would classify one of the best rulers who ever walked the planet. But he did, was God's man. Right? And yet, God says, he's a man after my own heart. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're not paying attention down here, are you? He said, no. Why? Because when he was confronted by his sin, he didn't say, well, it's Samuel's fault. He made me be king. I could have been a shepherd boy killing snakes with rocks. But he didn't. He didn't do it that way. He said, no, against you I have sinned. Which brings me to verse 11. What I call holiness. The saints' holiness. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Okay, what does this change look like? What does repentance look like? If a person comes to you and says, 
I have repented, what should be expected? Okay, it's, this is a simple thing because you and I struggle with this. How can we know? You know, you've heard it, the old Indian saying, I don't know, it's Indian saying, Catholic saying, Scottish saying, everybody's got a saying that says it. It says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And then we read, you forgive seven times 70. Okay, which is 144. <laughs> no. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? How do I know? You've, have you ever uh, disciplined your children? You, you catch them and they, they're busted. I mean, you know, I've got two, two eyewitnesses, you know, dun, 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 dun. you know, this isn't going away. Right. And they say, I'm sorry. Have you ever had them say that and you knew they didn't mean it? <laughs> That's that worldly sorrow. Okay, how do we, and this, because every one of us are going to deal with relationships that have this. Okay, and all of a sudden they say, I want the relationships restored. How do I know that this is legit? Okay, this text, this verse right here, verse 11, defines the attitude and the action of what true Repentance is true sorrow. Is it genuine? Have you ever dealt with a situation and you walked away from it saying, is this genuine? Because I see people get hurt, you know, do do knucklehead things. I know you guys maybe, but anyway. And it blows up. The relationship is broken. And all of a sudden... Well, I want to fix it. Okay. Sometimes we want to fix it because it's more convenient for us. Okay. And you know what? I've seen a lot of people fake it for a long time. How can I say I'm going to turn from sin to holiness? And how can the other individual or individuals know for sure? The Apostle Paul didn't go to Corinth. He's getting a report back from Titus. How does he know that, oh, we're sorry, is real? And that we're going to change. Okay. First of all, I want to look at the end of the verse. Verse 11. Okay. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Okay. You know what that means? If if you read there. You demonstrated. Some of your translations may say revealed yourselves. Okay. It was put on display. Okay. Then the word you see there, innocent. Okay. It's the Greek word that is either translated pure or holy. So they were putting on display holiness. Holiness. Real repentance. Remember John the Baptist? The founder of the first Baptist church? I think we ought to change our name. Cast Rock Last Baptist Church. What do you think? Dang on me no more. No, I just kidding. John the Baptist says, bring forth fruit of repentance. What is that? I want to see evidence of holiness. Because see, repentance, you got to get repentance down, people. It is a change of direction. I was in sin, so I changed directions. Where would you be going then? Away from sin to holiness. You have to go to holiness. You can't. Well, I'm going to be Switzerland. I won't sin no more. I'm just going to stand here. It don't work that way. When sin is confronted. Okay, now listen. Sin can be confronted from a fellow saint. It can be confronted from the preacher. It can be confronted by the Holy Spirit sitting and you're watching a ball game. Okay. When it is confronted, it produces sorrow. A sorrow towards God. 
I have sinned against my Savior and my Lord. Which moves me to repentance. Means that I'm changing my direction and I'm going toward righteousness. Okay? So, the Corinthian church, the repentance was seen. It was a visible holiness. And Paul rejoiced. And Paul was comforted. Because let's be realistic. This was a broken relationship. Okay, I mean, Paul's got more perseverance than I ever had. Dude, if I had to make a surprise visit at the church and the false teachers accused me of whatever, and nobody in the church that I would labored in for that long even defended me, I'm washing my feet of this place and saying, I hope you guys get out of this thing alive. What is evidence of real repentance? Because that's what he says there. You demonstrated in yourselves the innocent in this matter. It was seen. Okay? And you know what? I've been watching the, the, the Pope and stuff for what's going on. And they dress him in white. I think that's kind of cool. Because I, I could never do that. Because anytime I'm in white, I get grease spots. It's kind of, I, I mean, it's just like they just attack. So I could never be... Paraded around in white, unless you put me like in saran wrap. Okay, and and what it is is to show holiness. Uh, the Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict he gets to keep his white. Okay, so that means he's pure. So we got two pure people on the planet right now. This verse eleven is the clearest definition of the evidence of repentance. Okay, it's written in the syntax of the Greek language in what is called comparative. It's comparing it to what was been said. All right? Look what he says. Now, back it up. He says, and I like it. He starts it off. Verse 11. Behold! You know what that means, like? Phantasmagorical! That's like, wow on steroids! I was reading Linsky on this. He says, this is a high level of earnestness. You're like, what? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you think too much. I like phantasmagorical earnestness. Behold, he says, what earnestness. What an amazing level of earnestness. Listen, first thing I want you to do, I got seven things. Ready? First thing I want you to know, you want real change. You want to see real repentance. Okay? A godly sorrow that has changed somebody, it will be seen in earnestness. Okay? It will be manifest. Now, everybody gets earnestness and they all get spiritual. It just means eager. (laughs) There's an eagerness. That's all it means. I mean, everybody gets, well, well, earnestness. What is eager? They're just eager. There's an eagerness now towards righteousness, towards holiness. See, the sin broke my heart. It broke my relationship. Now I have an eagerness to make it right. See, too many in the body of Christ right now, and I don't, want, I don't want to have to deal with the world, but in the body of Christ are indifference towards sin. Okay? They're indifference toward rebellion. It doesn't bother. There's a complacency about evil deception. Well, you know, they're trying their best. Okay, And once you get into that complacency and that indifference, that's what leads people. Okay, That's what they're going to be following. But now the Corinthians were confronted. It's broke their heart in sorrow over their sin and what they had done. And now there's an eagerness to do it right. There's an eagerness to make things right. There's an eagerness to correct, to restore. I want to fix this broken relationship. I broke this relationship. Now I have a zeal, an eagerness. 
a passion to make it right, an eagerness to make it right. Now, listen, I want you to think about this because when you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, whatever it is, you want to make it right. Okay, this is what and you've got to be real careful. Okay, Uh, I've seen women try to do this. I'm just telling you what I've seen. I'm not here to bust on nobody. This is what I've seen. We have, this is not dragging people to change. Here, let me make your life so stinking miserable that you got to change. That ain't what this is. That ain't what this is. And I've seen that. Okay, people say, I'm going to hold, I'm going to keep my foot on the back of your neck until you get tired of eating dirt. And I guarantee you, you change. No, they won't. Let me tell you something. Every time that I've seen that, witness that, here, let me drag you to change. It works really well. See, it, it, it is not pushing people to do what is right. I have a flaw. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> Dude, you have a list of flaws. Uh, as a pastor, I hate asking people to do things. I, I it just, you know, and, but I get, they get on. You just got to ask. I hate asking. Why? Just do it. And it's sort of like I'm sending out positive brainwaves and you guys are supposed to be getting them. And then it dawned on me, my brainwaves probably only go about two and a half inches past my nose. <laughs> okay? I don't like asking people to do it. Because when, when a pastor asks you, I'll bet you, you bet you. I hate doing that. But I'm going to do it. Why? Because he might send me to hell. <laughs> but that's what they do. And, and, and that drives me nuts. I hate asking people to do things. Okay? And I've, I've tried to overcome it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I don't want to push people to do what is right. I preach the word. I teach the word. And I let God deal with it. A lot of the stuff that you see in church today is people pushing. Let me, I'm going to drag you into pearly gates. And you can't do that. You can't do that. True repentance, true sorrow, godly sorrow is an eagerness to pursue what is right and holy. And you can't manufacture that. I can't make you. I want you to be eager in your holiness now. Really? And you know what? When I look at this and I put behold and eagerness together, it's like no matter what, that individual is going to push for a right relationship. Listen, you don't have to beat them into it. You do not have to push them into it. You do not have to force them into it. They just do it. If you ever watch somebody who gets truly saved, you know, one of those, okay, and they happen. I'm, I'm a firm believer that they happen. Okay. You can't make them stop. You can't make them stop. They are going to be after the word of God and the things of God like a sponge. And and you know what? There's times it's just annoying. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, well, this is a good thing. You look at the alternative. Okay. You know, people ask me, they say, well, how'd you know you were called to preach? (laughs) I was the last one standing. Okay. And they said, well, but you're there at church. Anytime the door, I was here when the doors were open before I ever even stepped into leadership. Why? Because I understood that eagerness. I spent years over here hanging out with the dog vomit. I knew what that was. And I'm like, I need an alternative. And so when the doors were open at the church, I was there. You're going to have a work day. I'm there. You're going to change. I'm there. You're going to paint the walls. I'll do it. I hate painting. Okay, I was always there. Why? Because I understood what the alternative was. There was an eagerness. Now, listen, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm this great, big, giant spiritual thing. I'm just telling you that when God saved me, I knew that, oh, gee whiz, I need to get out of this. 
And he took everybody out of my life that I knew, all the biker buddies I did, all the dopers that I knew, everybody that I ran with were isolated. Nope, you don't need to be around them. And the reason was, I was in church. If the doors were open, I was in church. Okay, we used to do 24 hours of prayer. <laughs> At that time, I was younger. Okay, and I always got the 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to pray for an hour at 1 o'clock in the morning? They wake you up at 2 o'clock, and you tell them you're trusting in God's sovereignty. (laughs) When the genuine change comes, and it comes from the sorrow, then we see the seriousness of sin. Your and my sin. I see my sin. I see my sin better than you guys do. You see your sins better than we do. But there's an overwhelming eagerness to pursue what is right. Okay, listen. Let me a little footnote on this. This is not one of these, I'm willing to give it a try. Okay? I've seen a lot of those. That is not, behold, what eagerness. Okay, because there's every once in a while you're like, oh, gosh, I'll try anything now. That ain't it. That's not real. Real will knock you over to do what is right. Okay, and you do not. You know what's amazing about it? You don't even pressure them. You may want to get out of their way. Okay, second thing. So you have an eagerness. This very thing, this godly sorrow produced in you. And then he makes another statement. He uses the word what? Just like he did with uh, eagerness. What eagerness? It, It gives more emphasis to it. Now he does what vindication? Okay, technically, if I just give you the straight scoop on this word in the Greek, it means to clear my name. Clear my name. Okay? And, you know, you said to me, well, gee whiz, that seems kind of chicken. Well, no, not really. If you're known for this sin, this situation, you want people not to know you for that. Because this eagerness should show you that I am traveling in a different direction and I'm trying to do it at light speed. Okay? What longing you have to clear the stain that has been attached to you by your sin. Okay, now we got people in the church that will do their best to keep you stained. Okay, they they believe that I have the spiritual gift of guilt. And, you know, I will share it with you. Okay, but remember, he's already disciplined this guy once. And he says, you've already Done it. He's turned. Don't keep pushing it. Okay, why? So you just don't compound the grief. All right, so you you watch this as part of a strong desire to restore the relationship. You move away from the guilt of the sin and you remove the sin from yourself. And once that's happened, you have been vindicated. Look, you know, I've got people right now who are still waiting for me to fall. 30 years. He's faking it. Well, he's good. 30 years worth, he needs an Oscar. Okay, but I, but I, that's what they do. But see, the thing is, they're not saved. They're just saying, well, I don't get it. He's done that religious thing. See, <clears throat> that eagerness wants the stain of my sin to be removed so I can restore the trust and the confidence. And there should be a tremendous desire to make this a clear action so you see it. It's real. It's eager to do what is right. There's an eagerness to clear the name. It's to remove the sin from one. Okay, how? Making sure everyone knows you've changed. You've repented. You've turned to pursuing righteousness. And you want the people to see it. 
the church changed. They wanted Paul and Titus to see it so that this stigma, which is on the church in Corinth, would be removed. Okay, third thing. What indignation? You know, the word indignation is it's a cool word if you use it in a regular conversation because people stop and go, what? Okay, it just means anger. All right? You've heard of holy indignation, righteous indignation, right? That's what this is. Okay, now listen, I want you to be real careful about this because we can, we can get things twisted around and I'm going to be righteously mad at you if you cut me off in traffic again. All right? That's not what this word is. This word has to do about your sin. That sorrow now has angered you about your sin. Your sin angered you. The shame you have brought on yourself should anger you. And it's one of the fascinating things that I've watched in our culture over the last few decades is um, there is no shame anymore about anything. I remember when it used to be shameful to get uh, food stamps. Uh, There used to be things you used to be shamed of. You you didn't want people to know you were doing that. And now, hey, whatever. Okay. um, The thing is, is that this indignation, this anger, this holy anger, um, is that you are ashamed of that you this that you've brought on yourself but you also understand remember if this is God's repentance because of God's sorrow now you also understand in this context I am ashamed of what I have brought on the apostle Paul I am ashamed of what I have brought on the name of the Lord I am ashamed of what I have brought on the name of God I am ashamed of what I have done in the body of Christ the church Okay, see, it, now listen, it's a real anger. Let's, let me ask you a question. Anybody here made a deal and were deceived in the deal? If you've ever bought a car, <laughs> you've probably been deceived <laughs> in the deal, right? And it does what? Makes you mad. Why? Sin deceives you. Okay. And it should anger you. If somebody cheats you in a business deal, you probably get a little PO'd on. Your sins should do the same. Only behold with earnestness. Real anger over the fact you've been deceived. Real anger over the fact you've been discredited. And, And... It becomes this hatred over the disloyalty that you produced. I broke this relationship. I broke the trust that was in this relationship. I should have a hatred over their sin. I should have a hatred over dealing with the false and not dealing with the false. Okay. Okay. Listen, how's come we didn't stay loyal to Paul? Paul was protecting us. Paul was defending us. Why did we not defend this man? Because we were deceived. We fell victim to the lies of the accusers. And now we're angry about it. Now we have indignation about it. Okay, now listen. When you get into that place, you will know it and so will I. The Corinthians knew it. And it's very, it shows up so quick you can't hardly believe it. You know why? When you have that anger over what you did to break the trust, when you have that anger over the sin that you did, when you did these things, then all you can have is meekness and brokenness. And those are not natural to humanity. Because there's an outrage over your sin. And the key to it is, I was deceived okay you know what that happens when you get deceived it absolutely obliterates your pride you have to be meek i cannot believe i walked into that i can and you stay in your brokenness fourthly what fear reverence that's all it is 
Reverence. Beginning of salvation is what? Fear of the Lord. Why don't you hear that taught? I got into it just yesterday over, I refuse to compromise truth in the name of compassion. That's not compassion. It's not loving. I'm not here to make your feelings feel better. I'm not here to stroke your emotions. I'm here to show you the fear of the Lord so you get saved. Fear towards God. See, that fear is the sorrow towards God in repentance that he's been talking about. Sin turned to the fear of the holy God. God was dishonored by the rebellion in the Corinthian church. But now the Corinthian believers have a new reverence. They have a new healthy fear. You know what is so cool when that happens? When you have a true, healthy reverence, healthy fear of God, there's only one thing that can happen. You break forth in, are you ready? Worship. Try to hear that today in our church models. You mean I got to be afraid of God to worship Him? You'd better be. You'd better be. Do you realize the arrogance on, do you have a contemporary worship or a traditional? What? You're telling God how you're going to worship? You may want to fear my God. Because He's got a track record on people worshiping in their own way. It's kind of ugly. You know, leprosy and falling over dead and falling out of your chair, breaking your neck, weird things like that. When you turn from sin to God, listen, let me share with you something here. There are too many today who worship in sin. Did you get that? Humanity was created to worship. But there's too many today, and maybe even sitting in the church, who are worshiping sin. Repentance means that I will turn and I will worship God. And it's evident. It's evident. Okay. Next on the list. Longing. I'm not going to go into that one. I dealt with it in depth in verse 7, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. Um, longing, simplicity is that I have this overwhelming yearning to write this relationship. I need to fix this. Okay, I, There's a yearning to res- be restored to the Apostle Paul. That's what he's saying. Okay, Which gives me the sixth one, zeal. What zeal? I love this word. I wish I could pronounce it. Okay, but I love the word. Okay? There's zeal towards God now. Through the Apostle Paul, it means that I hate anything that dishonors his name. I have a zeal now. Okay? They had a zeal to the church. They had a zeal to God's word. You can have a zeal to your spouse. You can have a zeal to your kids. Why? I don't want to see anything that dishonors them. I don't want to see anything that hurts them. That's what the word zeal means. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's one of the things that you, you will hear some of you guys have talked to me. When I confront somebody that, where is that in the Bible? Or have you not read? Because my zeal is for the word of God. Okay, and if you're saying something is in the Bible that isn't, I'm going to make you show me where it is. Okay, where is that? I had that one thrown at me yesterday at the memorial. Well, God helps those who help themselves. Where is that in the Bible? What? Where is that in the Bible? (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's in there. I said, well, no, it's not. But I do know who wrote it. Who wrote it? Ben Franklin. I don't think he was a prophet. 
Just a thought. Although I do like the almanac. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? That, that zeal. See, here's one of the things that is, is amazing to me. I had a, a family left this church years ago. And they said, you have made the Bible an idol. And I was like, you know, at first I was offended. I was like, oh, I don't want to get into idolatry. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you should have seen some of the other things I used to worship. <laughs> Then it dawned on me, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So you can't separate the Word from God. You know what else you can't separate? The church. So you have a zeal for the church. Why? It is the manifestation of Christ today. Is it perfect? Right. No, because everybody thinks God helps those who help themselves. But you see, you can't separate that. There's a zeal for the word. Why? The word is God. The zeal is the man. The zeal is the person of Jesus Christ through the word, through the body of Christ, his church to see changed lives, to see the Corinthians change directions and a godly sorrow that brought them to repentance. Seventhly, last thing. What avenging of wrong. What avenging of wrong. Okay, now, this one here is really cool. Because you, you see they were eager. You see that they wanted to vindicate their name. You see that they had an anger that they were deceived and the anger at their sin. You see that they have a new reverence to God and the things of God. They have this longing and they have this zeal. Okay. And, and, and remember what I said. You don't push people into this. Okay, God does this. Okay, but look what happens. You have an avenging of wrong. Avenging of wrong. When this sorrow produces this repentance, you seek justice to be done. Justice to be done. You know what's amazing about true repentance? And I... One of the things that I can spot true repentance, okay, it's not self-protecting. You ever notice that? Now talk about true repentance. Okay, there's people get caught, and they're sorry they got caught, but true repentance, the true change that says I'm moving from worshiping sin to worshiping the true and living God is not self-protecting. Not only is it not self-protecting, it wants the wrong avenged. Okay? We must deal with the wrong. And we accept what may come. You know, it's, it's, it's why I try to tell people in Christianity that, you know, do Christians sin? <laughs> it's like, boy, do they? No. Um, yes. Well, are you forgiven for your sins? Oh, absolutely. Okay, you're forgiven for sins you ain't even done yet. All right, but here's the thing. You don't pick the consequences. You know, people ask me, you know, is, is smoking a sin? No. Ain't nowhere in here I can find it. If you roll up something and stick it in a pipe and smoke it or paper or whatever that it's a sin but let me tell you something you don't get to pick the consequences we don't you know i can give you all of it well you know all things are profitable or all things are permissible but not all things are profitable be mastered by none sure whatever i can do that but you don't get to pick the consequences I mean, snow yesterday, I was going down the hill um, into Franktown, and snowing like crazy, okay? <laughs> you know, and I'm driving, I got a little pickup truck, four-wheel drive, does fine, you got good tires on it, I'm cruising along, doing about 30, 35, and I look up in my mirror and I see these headlights coming around, and all of a sudden, this guy's flying, <laughs> and he comes around me like I was stopped, and I'm like, you can't see that far in front of you, dude. 
<laughs> okay? And the next thing I know, all of a sudden these headlights are shining at me again, and then they're not. And then they're shining at me again, and then they're not. And they're shining at me again, and they're not. And I'm like, wow, consequences. <laughs> so I got down to the bottom of the hill, and he's sitting there, both hands, knuckles as wide as he has, his eyes about to look around. I was like, bummer, huh? <laughs> Didn't know that white stuff was slickery, did you? <laughs> so then he seemed kind of gingerly. And then I drove off because I just kept, I just kind of went around him and I drove off and he never did catch up with me again. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> All right. He doesn't get to choose consequences. You know, four wheel drive, good snow tires. Yeah, you're good. But I got news for you. If you got to stop or touch on the brakes, you better get out of the seat belt because <laughs> you just don't know how this is going to end. Okay. The Corinthians were confronted. And you know what? They confronted the false teacher, the messenger of Satan. And they wanted justice. Because it was more important that relationship with Paul was restored than to tolerate it. Okay? Remember, there's a limit on justice. You and I like to get a pound of flesh, and sometimes we only need an ounce of flesh. Okay, but he says, you know what? If the guy changes, like I just explained to you, these seven things, leave him alone so that you don't make the grief unbearable. Okay, this is repentance. This is real, legitimate repentance. It is seen. There is an eagerness for this very thing. There is a vindication. I want to clear the stain of my sin. There is an anger that I had stepped into it and brought shame there is a fear, a new reverence to God. There is this longing for the restoration of the unity. And there is a zeal that says, this is now my passion. And I am willing to accept the consequences. It's all about an eagerness to do what is right. Change directions. Clear the name. Clear the reputation. Be outraged over one's sin, fear, reverence of God, longing to restore the relationship of zeal for holiness, and then demand justice that brings change because of that holiness. The change was seen. The Corinthians had. It was a loyal change. It was a real change. It was an honest change. And you know what else? It was not reluctant. If you worship at the altar of sin too long, you keep thinking you might have missed something. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you've ever spent any time in sin, you don't miss nothing. Nor do you ever satisfy. Okay? It's not reluctant. Why? Because it's coming from inside. The Corinthians miss what Jesus said. One is sent by me. You receive him, you receive me. You receive me than you receive the one who sent me. Okay, the opposite of that is you reject the one sent by God, then you reject Christ and you reject God. Okay? When you're confronted on that, you've got to ask yourself a question Is my repentance real? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Titus brought a report and the joy and the comfort that was given to the Apostle Paul. Think about all the things that that man endured. And yet, Lord, you were always faithful. And even at his last court hearing, court appearance, none were there to defend him. But, Father, you were there. Thank you, Lord. And I know that he is in heaven. And even this day, this very day, he is still bearing fruit by his writing that you gave him in the letters of the New Testament. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we go into this Passion Week, as we go into this time that we think consistently about the person of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his suffering, his trial, and his murder, Father, let us understand that on Sunday we celebrate that the offering was satisfied. Thank you, Father. Your praise and glory. Amen.